Our scripture reading, we're going to Matthew's Gospel. I trust you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning. Matthew's Gospel and the fourth chapter. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Matthew chapter 4 and reading from verse 1 down to verse 11. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, reading down to verse 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. May God be pleased to bless to us this portion of his word this morning. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this season into which we have entered, this time in our year where we remember the birth of your Son and our Savior, Christ Jesus. We thank you, our Father, for your great gift of grace. We thank you for the demonstration of your great love for a fallen world. We thank you for this hope that comes to us because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you, our Father, that we can remember with rejoicing, we can remember with thanksgiving and with praise. 
For Christ Jesus came into this world not simply to be an example before us, not simply to come beside us to encourage us in the way in which we've been living, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How thankful we are this morning, dear God, that that means us. For we have all sinned, we have fallen short of your glory. Even this past week, yea, even the past hours, we have not loved you as we ought. We have not rendered to you that obedience which is your due. And even in our worship, our thoughts are here for a moment and then they're on something else. Our concentration is limited. Our minds are on many things. But we thank you that the Savior has come. The one who delivers. The one who pardons. The one who transforms. The one who rescues the perishing and cares for the dying. And so we thank you that through him and by him alone, we are able to come to you this morning. For he declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one comes unto the Father except by me. And so we thank you that the Son came in order to save sinners such as we are. And we come to you this morning, our Father, by him and through him. And so we thank you for the season of rejoicing, of thanksgiving, of praise. And yet we're also mindful, our Father, that for many, this Christmas season will not be joyful, but tinged with sadness. A loved one is sick, or a loved one may have been taken this year. And this Christmas is going to be different and it's going to be difficult and hearts are going to be heavy and tears are going to be shed. And therefore, we bring these dear ones to you that you would comfort them with your presence, that you would speak peace to their hearts, that you would grant our Father your enabling grace, your sustaining grace, to bring them through this season, trusting in your all-wise providence. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are the God of all comforts, and therefore we can look to you for those who do need your comfort and strength at this time. And for those whom we know, for those who are part of the congregation that gathers here at Pakenham, for those who cannot be with us even this morning because of sickness, because of some conflict, some difficulty, some trial, we yet commend them to you. We thank you that you are with us here, but we thank you that you are the God who is always with his people, that you are on our right hand so that we will not be moved. And so we pray, our Father, for your healing touch on those who are ill and your comforting ministry to those who have been led aside. But we come, our Father, and we pray for our nation. 
We ask, O God, for your mercies to be upon us as a country. Father, we have forsaken your ways. We have not acknowledged you in all our ways. Our Father, we have given so many thoughts and ideas and and, uh, aspects and elements to so many things other than yourself. So pardon our sins as a nation, we pray of you. Forgive us, our Father, for our unrighteousness and for our ungodliness. And we pray for our world. Oh, Father, such darkness, such depravity. Men against men. Our Father, nation against nation. Yet may it please you, dear Father, at this Christmas season, to turn in many hearts towards heaven. The men and women might see and boys and girls might recognize their great need of a savior. One who would rescue and redeem. And so may it be this Christmas Eve and around the globe, owning the works of those who missionaries in various parts, various countries, owning their ministries in a peculiar and a particular way, that the gospel would run with power even this day, that in the midst of great darkness there would be a marvelous light. Hear these are prayers. Forgive us our sins. Open our understanding now as we come to your word. Speak, Lord, in stillness while we wait on thee. And we ask all these things through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. This morning we come to consider the final petition of that prayer which our Lord taught his disciples. And I've been looking at it as Matthew records it for us in that sixth chapter of his gospel. This this prayer, which we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, is a prayer which has two parts, which I'm sure you would appreciate when you look at it. The the first part of this prayer uh, focuses upon uh, uh, God himself. It has to do with his name, it has to do with his kingdom, and it has to do with his will. But then the second part of this prayer has to do with ourselves, with our daily bread, with the forgiveness of our debts, and now this morning to the realm of temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we put these these two sections, as it were, together, we we learn what uh, we need to know in order to live for the glory of God. Now, of all the petitions that we, we have here, Uh, This one that's before us this morning in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, it has caused no little confusion. Because the question is this, do the words of this petition, the words that we find here, do they clash with and do they contradict what James says to us in his epistle in chapter 1? And verse 13. For you see here in this this prayer that Jesus is teaching us. 
He is saying to us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So is there a clash here? Is there a contradiction here? Well, of course, the answer is a definite no. For yes, God does test us. Our Heavenly Father may allow trials and tribulations and tears to come to us. But he never tempts us in the sense of soliciting us to sin. And the confirmation of that is, is seen in Jesus himself. That reading that I brought to you just a few minutes ago. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Here is Jesus, the very Son of God, being led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Father, notice, the Father did not tempt him, but the Spirit of God led him into temptation's arena, into that realm whereby he would be tempted, so that the Son of God is called upon to face temptations. So what lessons are here for us in this final petition this morning? Well, my first major point is this. When you consider this petition, you notice and you understand the Lord's perception of our weakness. The Lord's perception, the Lord's understanding of our weakness. He's aware of our proneness to sin. He knows us. He sees us. He's acquainted with us. Hence this petition relating to temptation and evil. Now you notice in your text here that there is a connection here. It's, it's a connection which has been repeated because we have two connections here. The first one you find at the beginning of verse 12. That little word and. And forgive us. And now in verse 13. And Lead us not into temptation. And this connection is significant. And we can illustrate it by an incident in the life of Jesus that is recorded for us by John in John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery. What was our Lord's response to this incident, this situation, the being, this woman being brought to him. Well, with compassion, he says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go. Go. 
That's his compassion. He pardons her. But then he gives her a commission. From now on, sin no more. Forgiveness freely bestowed. All that's been in the past is forgotten. But what of her future? Go and sin no more. She's going to face a future of struggle and of battle and of war with the world, with her own flesh, and with the devil. And so that's what you get here in verses 12 and 13 of Matthew 6. And Matthew 6, 12 is a prayer for pardon concerning our past. And Matthew 6, 13 is a prayer for protection concerning our future. That knowing our weakness and our propensity to waywardness, Jesus teaches us to pray to our Heavenly Father to come to Him and to look to Him and ask Him for help. So this petition, you see, evidences our Lord's concern for His own, for we who would name the name of Christ. For he knows that as far as we are concerned, it's always easier to go the wrong way and to do the wrong thing than that which is right and good and proper. And I'm sure if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we'd admit that. That we always find it easier to do the wrong thing and to go the wrong way. The fact is, not one of us is safe from temptation. And therefore, this petition voices a cry for help from an honest and humble and needy heart. For what is this 13th verse all about? It's, it's, it's a cry for God not to let us go our own way. It's a cry for God not to take his hand off us lest we go astray. It's a cry for God not to withdraw his grace from us. Because it's only by his mercy and his might, it's only by his goodness and his graciousness, it's only by his faithfulness and unchangeableness that we stand Here is the Lord's people's cry to the Lord himself. That he would bend our hearts to his word and his will. A prayer that, that, that God will take our hearts and chain them to his. Lest we wander away. Listen to the words of David. Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. 
That's the prayer of a righteous man. Knowing us as he does. And knowing the the enemies that confront us. Our Lord provides a way to war against ungodliness and unrighteousness and worldliness. And what he provides is the path of prayer to the Father in heaven. O Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To be humble enough and honest enough to seek help from this great God. The Lord's awareness, perception of our weakness and our tendencies to leave him, the one we confess we love. And so my second point is this, that when we look at this petition, we recognize something of the Lord's providence and our weakness. What is the Lord's providence? Well, to try and put it as simply as I can, it's, it's this, that all things, everything that comes our way, everything that comes into our lives, all things do not come by chance. They do not come by accident. They do not come because of good luck or bad luck. They come from the Father's hand. That's providence. Everything comes by the Father's hand. And so in this petition, we are confronted by a reality. And the reality is that God, our Heavenly Father, in his infinite wisdom, chooses at times to lead his people as he led his son into the wilderness in order to face temptation, in order to be tried, in order that we may be tested. You see, the, uh, he who, who takes his flock beside still waters and green pastures is the same God who at times leads his people into the dark valleys and into the wilderness to be tempted. And given the state of this world in which we live, the reality surely is that for the Christian believer, for we who would name the name of Christ, there is never a day passes but something comes to us, something confronts us, something faces us that puts our moral strength and our purity of thought to the test. To the test. Enticements to sin abound. You know that as well as I do. And our inclination to sin is present and powerful. 
invitations to enter the broad way, to heed the advice of the wicked, to embrace their thinking, and to take your stand with them, to be one with them, abound and appeal to us. Yes, God in his wise providence, to use the word of the great John Owen, orders temptations. And hence the scripture's warning. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he falls. So why this discipline? Why this test? Why this trial? Why are we called upon to face temptations? Well, the reality of this providence gives way to the reason for this providence. Why does our Heavenly Father order, as it were, temptations? Put us in the arena where we're going to be tempted. Well, let me answer these ways. He does so to cause us to look to our Lord. For he is the captain of our salvation. The one who alone has defeated the enemy of souls. The one who alone is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. You see, my friends, the sense of our own weakness, our propensity to fail, knowing what we are really like when we're being honest with ourselves should cause us to look to him alone who is able to keep us from falling. That as we were singing earlier, the victory belongs to our Lord. We look to him. But secondly, these tests and trials and temptations come to cause us to lean on our Lord. Listen to these helpful, hope-filled words. I'm reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2 and verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. My dear friends, our Lord Christ is fit enough, powerful enough, experienced enough, more than enough to rescue the perishing and the perplexed and the persecuted and the tempted. He faced what we now face and so his own trials and temptations make his heart tender towards us. So how essential is this petition to us? For is it not true of all of us that it is only the lack of opportunity that keeps us from satisfying our base desires? Listen, friends, we must never think that we can't be tempted in certain ways. We, we must never entertain the thought that, oh, we could never do what they did. Or oh, we could never be like them. 
Or that, that could never happen to me. Oh, we, we, would never, we would never do that. Don't flatter yourself. Don't flatter yourself. Given the right circumstances, given the right conditions, given the right climate, who knows what we're capable of? Who knows what we're capable of? The godly Robert Murray McSheehan said this, the seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. And that's true of you and that's true of me. You dare not trust yourself, my friend. You don't have enough strength. You don't have the capacity. And that's why we must look to the Lord. And that's why we must lean on the Lord. Because you see, we are expected to live like the Lord. What did John write in 1 John 2, 6? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as he walked. And so that means, that means studying the life of Christ. So we're to be like him. We need to study his life. Being in the Gospels, looking at him, listening to him, seeking to be like Jesus. And particularly how he dealt with temptation, with its stealth, and with its strength. And when you look at him, what do you see? Four little points. Four little things associated with temptation. You notice when we read that fourth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, the season of temptation. When was Jesus tempted? After a time of great blessing. After a time of great blessing. Jesus' baptism. The bestowal of the Spirit. The affirmation by the Father. This is my beloved Son. Then the temptation came. The season of temptation. The subtlety of temptation was in the wilderness. When weakened by fasting, 40 days and 40 nights. And so the temptation was what? Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. You've been fasting. God bless you. You can do this. Temptation has its season, its subtlety. But what was the success of a temptation? It's rather very simple. Success came about because Jesus knew his Bible. Jesus knew his Bible. It is written. It is written. He was able to respond by declaring the text from Deuteronomy. He knew his Bible. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. And so what was the sequel to the temptation? The devil left him for another time, indicating that temptation may come to us at any time, anywhere.
And so to win over temptation means that we must be equipped with an expert in using the sword of the Spirit. How did the psalmist put it? You young people that are here. Here's this young man. How can a young man, how can a young woman in this world, in this day and age, how can you keep yourself pure? Ah, the psalmist replies, I've hidden God's word in my heart, so I will not sin against you. Memorizing the scripture, having it with you all the time, the spirit of God can bring to you that, that, that arrow of his word to enable you to withstand the attack of the evil one. Graham Scroggy put it this way, every test is not a temptation, but every temptation is a test. But know this, let me make it clear, when we talk about temptation, temptation in and of itself is not sin. For Christ was tempted as we are, yet it's said of him, he was without sin. Temptation only becomes sin when we stop and start considering it, submitting to its suggestions, and giving way to its solicitation. So that when that that picture suddenly comes onto your phone. Or that's, that scene just appears on your television. Or that act in that movie that you're watching. And that invitation comes to you. What do you do? What do you do that moment? Because you see, what we do that moment those things happen and occur, as we might say, perchance, what we do those next moments could change our lives completely if we don't handle it biblically and scripturally. Will you dare to be a Daniel and refuse to compromise your faith or will you be like Eve, who looked and longed and lusted and then took the forbidden? What do you do when and an instant comes? What you do then, my friend, makes all the difference. Uh, Martin Luther put it in his own wonderful, delightful ways. He says... Uh, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them making a nest in your hair. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord's perception of our weakness, the Lord's provision or, or, or providence rather in our weakness, that every temptation is a test. So will we turn and look to the Lord? Will we recognize our weakness and lean on the Lord? Will we determine this morning to seek his grace to live a life of purity so that we live like the Lord?
Well, thirdly and finally, the Lord's provision for our weakness. You see, don't forget, this, these words here, it's, it's, it's a prayer. We're talking about our prayer to our Heavenly Father. So how does he provide for us so that we will not give way, but be strong in faith, giving glory to God? Well, consider, my friends, our Savior's intercession for us. Our Savior's intercession. We're being taught here to pray. We're being given the words to pray. And yet how wonderful it is that we have the dust of man in heaven praying for us. Even God's Son. And His intercession has been manifested to us by that prayer which he gave and recorded in John 17. We read of Jesus praying for his own, and he says this, Holy Father, protect them. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now we can gain a clear insight into the effectiveness of our Lord's intercession by remembering Peter, Peter, you, 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 I'm sure you, you recall or you've come across the declaration or uh, adjective applied to Peter. Peter is old motor mouth. You know, if anybody was descending, Peter was always the first one to open his mouth and speak. And he'd, like many of us, he would speak first before thinking. But here, here he is, old motor mouth, declaring that, Lord, this will never happen to you. Going to Jerusalem, going to be crucified. No, no, no. Lord, I'm going to labor, lay down my life for you. How little he knew of his own folly and foolishness and frailty. But how did Jesus respond? Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. My Christian brother and sister, how wonderful is that? How amazing is that? How assuring is that? That he says to you and to me this morning, when we don't understand half our own weakness and waywardness and wickedness, who we think we're so bold and so great that we can live for Christ all, all the day by ourselves. Yet he says to us, I'm praying for you, and your faith will not fail. All of yesterday's guilt, all of today's sin, all the unknown tomorrows, Jesus makes provision for us by praying for us. Ought we not, therefore, to pray for ourselves? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How does he provide for our weakness? His intercession. But then in addition to that, the scriptures injunctions. 
Watch and pray so that you enter not into temptation. Matthew 26, 41. You see, let me, let me ask you this this morning. And I'm talking to you, my brother and sister in Christ. Are you serious about your salvation? Are you serious about your own salvation? Is the approval of non-Christian friends, your enjoyment of today's entertainment and pleasures, your desire for advancement in your career, are all of these things that you do in your life consistent with your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Or let me put it to you this way. Here you are, looking down on you. And for many of you, faithful Sunday morning, coming to the place of worship, You've been baptized. You partake of the Lord's Supper. You give your tithe each Sunday. But a Sunday morning, the hour and a half or so that we spend here together, is, is, is this the level of your devotion and consecration to our God? Is that it? That when you walk out of here after the service is over, your conscience now feels free to pursue your own goals and your own pleasures for the rest of the week. You've done your duty. I've given to God an hour and a half of my day. The rest of the time is my own. Yet you show a carelessness about what salvation requires and how it is to be displayed in one's life. But what does the Bible say? We were thinking about this last Tuesday at prayer time. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Or these words. Set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. Or this, do not love the things of this world. For only those who do the will of God will abide forever. Is your salvation serious? Oh, you're just playing church and playing at being a Christian. My friends, be on your guard for to conclude. Temptations are perpetual. It's a daily battle. It's a minute-by-minute -minute battle. So guard where your eyes tend to wander what your mind likes to think upon and what your heart desires, what your personality craves. 
Guard your hearts, my friend. Temptations are perpetual. Temptations are powerful. The arm of flesh will save you. You dare not trust your own. This petition has been given to us by our Lord in order that we might use it, employ it, and bring it before the Father. It's an essential petition for our profession of faith. For temptation is like rust. If you don't deal with it, it'll eat you up and make you useless. Temptations are promising. Because you see, temptations, they promise you the world. Temptations will promise you all the satisfaction you want. Temptations will, will promise you all the joy that you long for. Temptations promise to give you the best Christmas you've ever had. But tragically, they promise in vain because they only promise that which only Christ can give. Only Christ satisfies. Only Christ will keep you and take you home before the dark. And then temptations are personal. Are personal. I look out on you. And you're all different. And thank God that we are also very different. And so is temptation. You see, what tempts you is probably vastly different from that which tempts the person beside you or behind you, or in front of you. And that's why we need to know ourselves, beloved. What, what is it that turns you on? Do you know yourself well enough to be aware of an area of danger where you should not go? Do you know the green, the amber, the red lights? Do you know the danger signs? My friends, we need to be ruthless or else be damned. Because you see, if temptation is not a concern to you, and this petition this morning is superfluous, then you you have a real problem, the problem that you face a hellish eternity, where your desires and pride and lust and greed and personality will never be satisfied, but like the unstoppable worms, will feast endlessly and unquenchably and torturously forever and ever. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Don't forget this prayer. This final petition is for the Lord's people. Sinful people who desire to be holy. Fallen people who desire to be holy. 
rebellious people who have obtained mercy and desire to hallow their Father's name, trusting in him, looking to him, longing for him, living like him. Beloved, you're going to be tempted. You could be tempted within 30 seconds of walking out of this room or even here when the service is over. You'll be tempted in a moment to, 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 to cast off everything that we've said this morning. But we're called upon to fight the good fight of faith and say no to ungodliness and a hope in God and a follow after holiness and praying this prayer knowing that God hears and answers prayer. He provides our daily bread. He pardons all our sins and he will protect us and lead us and direct us in the way of righteousness for his own name's sake. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, O God, from evil. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Brought home from ways perverse, at peace thine arms within, we pray thee, shield us from the curse of falling back to sin. We dare not ask to live henceforth from trials free, but oh, when next we're tempted, give us strength to cling to thee. And we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.